Hey, good morning, Calvary Church. It is great to be here with you. I have the privilege to be able to introduce our speaker today named John Burns. He's the president of Greater Europe Mission. Uh, I also just want to tell a little bit of a story uh, of something that uh, Matt Doan and I heard and learned when we uh, had this opportunity last fall. We went out uh, to Europe. Uh, they were having, Greater Europe Mission was having this conference and kind of this whole thing of, of sharing their new vision. He's the new president of Greater Europe Mission and to hear about what they're doing and see how we could be part of it. And it was just amazing and exciting to see what God is doing in Europe because Europe is a place that needs Jesus. We were in France and France is a place where they were celebrating that France had gone from half of 1% to 1% evangelical Christian just this last like year or two. And so you see this incredible need for the gospel and for people to be reaching Europe for Jesus Christ. And, and one thing we, we heard from one of the, the gem, we call them gem missionaries, Greater Europe Mission, but one of these gem missionaries that was there uh, named Bill, he told this story that was just incredible. He's a guy that grew up in the projects of Philadelphia. And he went with his whole family. They moved to Paris. And you think, oh, Paris, you know, this beautiful, wonderful place. Well, he went from the projects to the projects, the parts of town you don't go to on the tours, okay? He went to this spot where uh, he said his family's serving, and what he would do is that he takes a new person, somebody that's being discipled, he's discipling, or somebody that's kind of new to the team, and he says, all right, let's just go out. We're going to go to one of these apartment buildings that is just full of poverty and crime and struggle, and they go, and we're going to go talk to somebody. We don't know who, we're just going to go. And he says they approach the the door, and these these doors have, the opening doors have gates and, and locks and codes and all that, and sometimes somebody lets them in, but he says sometimes they just pray. They go to the spot, and they pray, Lord, just help us to get into this building. And they said that the Spirit of God has given them a number to type in, and they'll type it in, and it works, and they get in the building. And so they go in the building. It's amazing. And And they go in, and he says, what we do is I say, all right, let's listen for the most chaos and struggle and fighting and that kind of thing, and that's the door we're going to knock on. And so he grabs this new person that's a little bit wide-eyed and just saying, what's going on here? And they go up to this door, and it's the one that is all that chaos and shouting and barking and kind of craziness happening, and they knock on the door, and he says, this woman opens the door holding the baby and just chain-smoking just right in their face, like, ah, what do you want? Just blowing smoke at them. And they somehow talk their way in that they want to just come in and talk with her, and they come into this apartment, and there's animals, there's these dogs barking, there's kids everywhere, there's a pot bubbling over on the stovetop, and it's just crazy and chaotic and loud, and, and everything's just kind of wild, and this lady's still there just smoking and blowing it in their face, and, and then they finally sit down on this couch, and it's this kind of old broken down couch, and he sits down, and he says, as he's sitting down, a snout comes up from the crack between the cushions, and it's kind of snarling and spitting, and he's shoving it down and kind of getting in his chair. And, and just finally sits down, and she's kind of like, what do you want? Blowing the smoke in their face. And he says, right as he finally says, we want to talk to you about, and he says the name, Jesus. And he said that a calm comes over this apartment building, this apartment room. This calm comes over where it had just been chaos moments before, but Jesus brings this peace into this room. And they begin to share And he shares about his life 
and the, the projects that he grew up in and how Christ, how he met Christ and how then now, like, you know, who Jesus is and they invite this woman and her family to a meal after their church service, not to the church service, but to a meal after the church service. And she comes and, and then, you know, the kind of story unfolds where this woman and her family receive Christ and she's baptized and she's part of that community. And it's just amazing to see what Jesus does. You know, and he said, you know, as he describes this project, he's like, yeah, glamorous Paris ministry, right? You know, because that's what we think. We think that's what we think about Paris. But God is doing incredible things through this ministry, Greater Europe Mission. And God is working in their new president, John Burns. And we're so excited about how th- this, this kind of passion that he brings. And, and you can read, even if you pull your notes out, there's some other cool things about him. I think I'm supposed to call you Sir John now or something. I don't know. He just won the British Empire Medal. Uh, and all these other cool things about him. But what I love is he loves Jesus and he loves people. Let's give him a big, warm welcome. John Burns. What he didn't tell you was I speak with an English accent. And um, so I know that we've got a couple of problems here. Um, You're going to have to listen really well to understand what I'm saying. But also, I'm going in for surgery on my vocal cords in four weeks' time. So I'm I'm about at the end of these particular vocal cords. I'm hoping for a new set in about four weeks. So uh, bear with me a little. I've got into skiing big time recently. Uh, We have to move to Denver with the new job. Ridiculously, Greater Europe Mission's head office is in Denver, Colorado. We're going to change that next year. It's going to move to Germany. But for now, it's in Denver. In in fact, I'm enjoying skiing so much, it might be two years before we move the office. But but, um, I was skiing last weekend with my friend from England, and he had one of these new apps that's like a speedometer of how fast you're going. That gets dangerous, right? That get because it's like you get to the bottom. Oh, we'll have to go quicker. You get up again, you go again. Well, of course, for me and my friend, we think this is brilliant. It's worth the risk all the time. How fast can we get? For my wife and this other guy that's with us, he's like, you're mental. Why would I take a risk that could harm me? We're looking at this whole idea at the moment called worth the risk. Um, because I, I was always impressed by the life of Nehemiah. If you've got your Bibles, you could open them with me, and just that first chapter of Nehemiah. And, and I guess why I love the story of Nehemiah is it starts with heartbreak. And you probably know the story well. But let's, let's look at it together. Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm assuming that you know the uh, context here, but let me just give you a little bit of it. So um, the people of Israel have been sacked and then sacked again and carried off to exile in Babylon. And uh, this is probably getting towards the end of it. We're about 60, 65 years in exile. And already some of the Jewish people have gone back to Jerusalem and have tried to build, rebuild the temple. We read about it in Ezra. And um, it you can imagine all of, all of the Jews that are still in exile kind of dying to receive news. And uh, some people come and visit, and we'll pick it up, verse 1 there. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakali. Now what happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, I was in Susa, the capital. 
that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and what was going on concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then there's that wonderful prayer. Um, You know, all of us are called to prayer. Some of us have a real gift of intercession. These next five, six verses, I think, are like the framework for great intercession. As he just contends with the Lord. He repents on behalf of the people again and pleads with the Lord to restore the people. You know, Nehemiah had never lived there. He was like second generation immigrant in Babylon and yet was desperate in his heart. And before he even finds words of a prayer, he's mourning and fasting. Do do you hear the heartbreak? We sang it in that song earlier. You know, drive us to our knees. I've noticed something a little bit dangerous about prayer, just to save you the bother. I've found that often when God drives you to your knees in prayer, he starts to give you a real heart for what it is you're praying about. Often he raises you from your knees and calls you to risky action. This is what happens to Nehemiah. The little clue right at the end of this chapter, verse 11, is the end of his prayer. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in fearing your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Cupbearer to the king is not just the guy who tastes the wine. That was his most important job. Before he handed over wine to the king, he was the most trusted man in the kingdom. Nehemiah, the most trusted man in the kingdom, to the king that had probably just given permission for those that had resacked Jerusalem. Do you get it? All the source of his heartbreak, all the source of his despair has probably come from permission from his boss. And God drives him to his knees and he pleads with the Lord and God raises him up and he takes a crazy risk. Chapter 2. Just read those first few verses together. In the month of Nisan, it's not just a car, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when when wine was brought before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. And the king said to me, why is your face so sad, seeing seeing as you're not sick? This is nothing but the sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, send me back to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. In the midst of a story that you've maybe heard loads of times, don't miss the power of this moment, this encounter. You don't walk before King Artaxerxes and look sad. Off with your head. You certainly don't go accusing him 
of what he's done to people. I, why should I not be sad? Because look what you've done to my homeland. Can, can, you, can you see the courage? Can you see the ridiculous off with his head risk he's taking? Right? Because God had broke his heart. And then God had raised him to risky action. Because it was worth the risk for him. It was worth the risk. I, you know, I've loved this story since I was a boy. I, I've preached this sermon in all kinds of ways, hundreds of times. And in 2007, it happened to me, honestly. So uh, 2006, I started getting really upset about the AIDS epidemics in Africa. I was, I was manic about it. I was dying for the Lord to intervene with all these poor little African kids that were dying of AIDS every day. And I'd set up this soccer charity and we were going to do a project in Africa for the World Cup. So I went on a scouting mission in 2007. And, and unbelievably, my second day in Africa, I got invited to the Zulu King's enthronement ceremony. I was the only white guy. Well, I had a BBC camera crew. It was me, a BBC camera crew, and 25,000 Zulus. Because I turned up on time, two hours early. But eventually, 25,000 Zulus come over the hills to this gathering. It, honestly, it was incredible. And I'd done my study, I understood about some of the problems with Zulu culture. I also knew that uh, officially Zulus didn't recognize that AIDS existed. They actually believed that you guys, America, invented it as a biological weapon to keep black people down. That, that was what they used to teach, even in the schools. And meanwhile, the promiscuity was shocking in Zulu culture. And so there was loads to love about the culture. It was amazing, the dancing and the singing and, the, and, the, and the, the vibrancy. But there was loads about the culture that was shocking. Anyway, I'm sat in the front row. It's an eight-hour ceremony. I fall asleep on the chief of police twice. And at the end of it, I go to meet him. And there's the Zulu king, the Zulu chief, and the mayor of Durban. And uh, they said, we'd like to talk with you for a moment. I, they knew what I was coming to do. They knew I was going to bring some people up to work in their valley. And they took me into this little room. What do you think of Zulu culture? Oh, it's lovely, thank you. I've really enjoyed my time, it's very special. And then the king says, what do you think in Zulu culture that needs to change to stop the spread of AIDS? You can't make this stuff up, right? You know, a couple of years of mourning and fasting and praying and I'm stood in front of the king, the Zulu king. And he's got six wives and 18 mistresses that I knew of. And uh, literally, I, I, th I felt like Nehemiah. And I shot an arrow prayer to heaven like, please God, help me. And I won't tell you the exact words I used because they're not for a church setting. But what I basically said to him was, um, uh, it's got to change. Your view of manliness has got to change. You know, I said to him, I, I believe in, in sex, but with one woman for the rest of your life. And I believe in fighting, but I believe in fighting for change in a culture. And I remember thinking, and these were the last words of John Burns. <laughs> well, you know, we've been working that valley now for 10 years. We feed 1,000 kids every day. We've built three schools. And, and the, the um, mortality rate in 10 years has just absolutely nosedived. You know, I'd visited, a, I'd visited a mass grave where they'd buried 5,000 kids that they didn't even know the names of. I met a soccer coach who told me that only a third of his boys would make it to 18. Ten years later, it's totally different. 
We've been able to do education work in the schools and we've been able to teach them a new diet that works with the drugs and God provided rabbits as the best protein meat in the valley and there's lots of them, right? My, my point is this. All of us need to allow God to break our hearts. But realize it might change your life. Right? You know, around the corner here, you might get a heart for the homeless in LA. And, and every time you see them, it starts to nudge away at you and you start to pray and it, God starts to break your heart. Guess what's coming? He's going to raise you up and send you to them. This is how God works with us. We pray, we go, we give. I've left the point of my talk miles behind, but I'm on a roll. So we'll, we'll keep moving. God interrupted me again just a couple of years ago. Um, I'd moved over here to America. I'd won this CNN thing, and we'd started this soccer charity here. And I was loving it. And then the refugee crisis hit. And uh, I, I remember watching the TV going, God, why am I in America when the center of what you're doing right now and the center of need is in Europe? Why did you send me here? Why, why am I not in Europe? And, and I came to the conclusion that the only thing I could do was send people to Europe. Send. I was here to send people. Because this refugee crisis is actually an opportunity. I don't know whether you know... But Muslims are becoming Christians every day in vast numbers across Europe. I grew up in this lovely little Baptist church in the north of England. And when they sent me out, there was only one flag on the wall. It was the English flag because everybody was English in the church. I preached there last summer and there was 60 converted, baptized Iranians in one year in the church. A tiny little Baptist church in the north of England. 60 converted Iranians. They'd never baptized 60 people in a year for 20 years. Now there's flags all over the world, all over the world, because Europe is changing. Europe's changing fast, and God is doing remarkable things with native Europeans and new Europeans. Whatever we think about that politically, God is doing crazy things. So he broke my heart, and I took this job on with Greater Europe Mission. We're a 70-year-old organization founded by a, a military chaplain who went with the troops onto the beaches in France in the late 40s, got his leg blown up, and ended up in a hospital witnessing to local French people, realized the mess Europe was in at the end of the war. I'd like to say, 70 years on, it's in exactly the same mess, Europe. And uh, we have 320 missionaries, couple of them that you support, thank you so much, and uh, in about 25 countries in Europe. But you know, Europe's in a tough place, right? It's under attack. You know this. It's under attack, as you see, the great cities of Europe attacked like Nice and Berlin and Brussels, Paris, even London just weeks ago. But, but London's in a, uh, England, sorry, Europe is in a mess in all kinds of ways. Politically, it's in a mess. You know, we started the Brexit thing. I'm not very proud of that. But, you know, the EU is starting to fragment. Politically, it's moving to the right because of all the fear of immigration. Um, you know, you go to Spain. I was in Spain three weeks ago. 42% of men in their 20s are unemployed. 42%. Economically, Europe's been in a mess for about six, seven years now. And yet, in the middle of this mess... God's doing crazy things. You heard about Bill in Paris. We've got stories from all over Europe like that. 
We've got a guy who planted a church in Frankfurt eight years ago. Well, actually, he had a heart attack. He was a Bible college lecturer, and he lectured in church planting, but he'd never done any, right? So he lectured in church planting. He has a heart attack. He nearly dies. On his deathbed, he makes a silly promise to the Lord. If you keep me alive, I'll start doing what I've been talking about. He kind of makes this remarkable recovery. He's now planted eight churches in eight years in Frankfurt. And he tells his students, we're not just going to talk about church planting this year. You're going to help me plant one this year. Gets all the students every year planting a church. These churches in Frankfurt are incredible. They're about 50% Muslim converts. And the rest from the rest of Europe. It's like incredible. It's like being at the United Nations. They have speakers at the back. You have headphones. The girl gets up, this 23-year-old girl, First verse German, second verse Farsi, third verse English, fourth verse Spanish. I'm like, this is like heaven. This little church with 100 people and all these headphones at the back. Just in the last eight years, what God's doing in Europe is unbelievable. I think the time is important. This mass migration, you know, we've been working in the tent. I'm sure you have missionaries, I've looked on the board that are working in the 1040 window. When you go and work in the 1040 window, you've got to be super careful. You don't know which conversation is going to land you in trouble. So you have to work really delicately, really relationally. Suddenly this migration crisis happens and the vast majority of those that are running to Europe are running from radical Islam, right? Maybe the odd terrorist hiding in there, there probably is. But the mass majority are running from Islam. They're looking for hope. They're looking for change. And if the church is there with its arms open wide, they are falling into faith. Every, particularly Iranians. I don't know why. More than Syrians or Afghanis. Iranians are falling into faith. Every town I visit, every missionary I visit, have got stories of Iranian conversions. What a time this is. And I think the way Europe's going politically, the doors will close and loads of them will get sent back. Ha, ha, ha. Can you see what the Lord's doing? This window of opportunity that could close any minute. Loads of Muslims come into faith. Loads of them are going to get kicked out as illegal immigrants long term. They're going to go back. I I genuinely believe Iran is going to tip over as a country. God's doing something. Sorry. It's one of those countries I pray for a lot. (laughs) I haven't told my wife yet that we may be moving. (laughs) I I really believe God is going to tip over Iran to a Christian nation. I believe it. I'm praying for it. It, Literally, if all the Iranians in the world that have got saved in the last 10 years went back, we think it's three to four million new converts. When I met with all these CEOs of mission agencies... We think three to four million Iranians have been saved. It's an incredible time. I was preaching in a church in Dallas, and I preached the gospel, made this response. 45-year-old Iranian woman comes to the front. We get talking with her afterwards. She told me she's been in America six years. But when she was four, her mother whispered in her ear, don't pray to Allah, pray to Jesus. He's the real one. All these secret Christians that had met Jesus in dreams. So this girl, since the age of four, had been going to the mosque and praying to Jesus. She comes to America in her late 30s, comes to church for the very first time in her life, and she becomes a Christian. And she told me that Jesus you just talked about, I've known since I was four. 
God's doing so much ahead of us. We've just got to be arms open wide and rescue them. Um, we had a girl who's a missionary with us called Jazz. She was in Paris when the bombs went off a couple of years, uh, 18 months ago. And so we've just written a book about her story that retells our founder's story so people understand this desperate heart of discipleship we have. Why don't you watch this little video for a second? We'll let it go. There's no sound. Um, we've written this book. If you'd like to get it, you just go to worththerisk.eu. On our website, worththerisk.eu, you can get this book. And I'm telling you all this stuff because I'd like you to join in with me. I'd like you to join in with me in what God is doing in Europe. I'd love all of you to pray for, for us, for other mission agencies, the church in Europe, all of us, that are committing to this thing. We have this crazy idea you could join in with me. Uh, we've all set alarms on our phone um, for 10 or 2. Luke 10 verse 2, pray that the Lord will send workers into the harvest field. I believe the Lord's called us to double the size of Gem, double the number of missionaries we've got. So at 10 or 2 every day, my alarm goes off and we pray, Lord, send us more workers. I'd love you to join me in that for as long as you want. Just set an alarm on your phone. It's a great conversation starter when your alarm goes off in a meeting. People say, what's that? Oh, sorry, I've got to pray for a minute. <laughs> 10.02 every morning. Join us. Pray that the Lord will send more workers into his harvest field. You've heard that Europe is the most unreached continent in the world. The number of Christians in Asia and Africa and South America, there's probably tipping points of movement going on. In Europe, it's desperate. The most unreached continent in the world, bar none. Pray, please, pray with me that God will send workers into the harvest field. You're about to meet two new ones in a minute. But maybe some of you would like to come and have a look. You know, hey, I know you've got a bunch of mission trips coming up this year. Or come and, come and see Europe with us. We send vision trips all the time. We take people out. We take people out because we know if they come... They'll pray, and if they pray, dot, 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 stuff happens. So come, come and have a look with us, please. And, and please keep giving. I know you support Chris Tweedy. We're going to see him and Susan in a minute. Keep supporting these missionaries. Hey, let me just pause for a moment and say thank you to you as a church. I, I stood outside and watched your Hall of Fame on that moving screen. All those missionaries you've supported all around the world, Listen, thank you. On behalf of all the mission agencies, thank you and don't stop. Thank you and push again. Thank you and start nudging people near you. Have you thought about going? Have you thought about going and having a look? Have you thought about having a vision trip? Have you thought about going and seeing the city that you seem to talk about all the time? Why not you? Some of you here might need to go for a short term or a long term. We've just had a couple join us age 66. 66. 
because they're like, we've finished work, we've, we've got money, we're fit and healthy. Even if we give five or six years, we just want to give it. It's a challenge to some of you. Friends, as I close, can I pray? Can I, can I pray for you as a church that the Lord will keep stirring you up in the middle of this great week you're having, that he'd stir you up to pray, to have your hearts broken by the needs of your local community, by the needs around the world, they'd break your hearts and drive you to your knees so that he'll lift you up and send you to risky action because it is worth the risk. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, I want to thank you for this church. I want to thank you for their amazing commitment to world mission. But Lord, individually, we choose to pause in front of you and we dare to ask you to break our hearts again. For people in our neighborhoods, for people around the world, for countries, for individuals, for certain needs, whatever, whatever is on your heart for us, would you break our hearts again, Lord? Would you drive us to our knees so that you may lift us to risky action? For we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs>